Now I want a donut and coffee. Pumpkin pie next week. If you want to do that, sign up. We need to get everybody on the list, and then we'll, we'll uh, have a good time. We'll uh, have a shorter study, and we'll get in, have fellowship afterwards. Uh, just a real quick note. Um, you might not know this, but uh, we have a group or a team from our church going to Guatemala uh, in a week, and they're going to be there. It's uh, Don Maurice, uh, Sergio's wife, Pastor Sergio, who is uh, supposed to be released tonight. Does anybody know if he got out of the hospital tonight? No. I got a message today. He's supposed to get out tonight. He's doing really good. Leukemia, uh, three weeks ago, been in the hospital, had th- two rounds of chemo and some other testing, and his body is really responding to the second round of chemo. He'll be in uh, for another f- four or five rounds now for the next several months. Uh, he'll be at home, but he's doing very well, and he's so excited to get home. And we're just thanking God for, for that. He, he, uh, he's, he's really doing very, very well, and he'll be very glad to be home. But uh, his wife is taking a trip with a, a number of men and women from our church down to Guatemala. They're leaving this next Wednesday night, and they, uh, they actually need a driver. Sergio was their driver to take them down to the airport in San Diego. The church rented a van, so there's a van. We just need somebody to drive the van next Wednesday night at 8 o'clock. You meet at Domeris and and Sergio's house in Colton, drive them to the border and back. So it's a late night drive. But anybody who has a driver's license can do that, and we need somebody to commit to that. And I really would like to hear from someone tonight. You can tell Pastor Chris or me, Pastor Chris preferably, um, let him know, and then he'll get you in touch with Domeris. But we need a driver. The van is provided, the gas. All you have to do is drive. And next uh, Wednesday night. So if you can do that, we would ask that you would volunteer your time and, and help them out. Uh, Sergio's not able to drive. So uh, Don Maurice has been up to here with her husband in the hospital and all the, the planning to get to Guatemala. So it's just one more detail, and we thought we'd help her out that way. So if you can help, great. Uh, tonight we're in Exodus chapter 3, and then we're going to kind of bleed into chapter 4. So open your Bibles there to uh, chapter 3 where we get this epic story of uh, the burning bush is what we're looking at in chapter 3. It's a wonderful story. There's so many wonderful things that we've learned uh, so far as we've studied it together. But uh, when Moses sees something on the hillside burning, it attracts his attention. He goes up to see what it is, and as he moves closer to it, it's a bush that's not being consumed. But as he looks at the bush, and the whole idea about the bush burning isn't about it burning and not being consumed, but there's an image in there. And it's Jesus Christ. It's a Christophany. And Jesus is the redeemer of the world, but he's made this appearance because now he's going to redeem the people that are lost in bondage and in sin. And this is the Israelites, the children of Israel that, are, that are, have been in Egypt. And God is intervening. Like God always intervenes in sin. He comes down and he helps out because we can't help ourselves. And so this story in Exodus is a very, very important story. And God comes down, he instructs Moses, the deliverer, how to deliver his people, God's people, from their bondage there uh, in Egypt. And just as God promised Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12, he is now performing that promise. He told Abraham that his He was going to make Abraham and his offspring a great nation. In other words, millions of of offspring. And now that's happened in Egypt. 400 years after the 70 
from the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jacob's sons. They have now become a, a nation of two million people, but they're slaves, and they're in Egypt. God promised Abraham's descendants land. So there's a lot of people, but they don't have land because they're in Egypt, in bondage. God's got to get them out of there. And so this story is a story of redemption, the most beautiful story in the Bible, by the way. And we see it from the beginning of the Bible, throughout the Bible, in the end of the Bible. God's plan of redemption. He, he loves us, and he sent his son to die for us. Here we have this pictured in Moses to deliver, who's going to come now. But he sees in this image of this burning bush. He sees Jesus. Jesus gives him instruction, and we're going to move through that instruction uh, tonight as we get into our study in chapter 3. I'm going to kind of go back and give you some more insight there because there's so much stuff in chapter 3, but we're going to look at that. But tonight, let's open a, in a word of prayer. We're going to be praying for the uh, believers at that Sutherland Springs Baptist Church. We need to pray for that pastor and his wife who lost their daughter, the many that lost their lives, they're believers in Christ. And so let's pray for them and those in our fellowship that are sick. I'll mention them by name. Father, we want to come before you this evening and, and pray for the healing of this community that suffered great loss at the hands of an evil man. And Lord, your children, you knew them and you counted the number on their hair of, uh, on their head. You, you knew exactly when their last breath would be taken and yet, Lord, you allowed that to happen. It's hard for us to understand. And our hearts go out to these victims and their families. Hundreds of people, have lives have been changed in that one event. And so tonight, Lord, we come before you. And we ask, God, that you would bring the comfort, that your Holy Spirit would be the comforter for those people. Oh, Father, send the comforter to give them strength. Help them, Lord, to continue as Christians in their great loss, to help them, Lord, to shine for Jesus. And may we hear stories of faith and growth out of this tragedy. And, Lord, our hearts just, again, go out to these families. Bless them, we pray. And, Father, in our own fellowship, those that are hurting, heard about loss of life even tonight from a brother, we, we know that the... End of our days, Lord. It's just the beginning for us as believers, the beginning of a eternity with you. And, and Lord, our hearts are saddened when we lose a loved one. But for those that die in Christ, we know exactly where they are. And so, Lord, we have hope. We pray, Lord, for our sister Marilyn, who fell and, and broke her hip and is healing. We ask, God, that you would strengthen her, that you would touch her body. We thank you for the report of Sergio's family and his life, Lord, where leukemia and the, the sentence that he heard, the cancer and, and the worry and the concern, and, and yet, Lord, you're sparing his life right now, and we thank you, God, for the healing he's experiencing. We pray that it would continue and that we would hear remission soon. We pray, Lord, for Don Maurice and her team going to Guatemala and the work they do, and, and for a, a, a wife that uh, is concerned for her husband, and, and, and now she's going to be going to do ministry. We pray, Lord, that you would give her wisdom and peace. 
And Father, for our study tonight, we thank you for the word. May it penetrate the deepest, darkest, hardest parts of our hearts. May we understand, Lord, the wonderful plan of redemption. And may we rejoice, Lord, in your plan as, as we see it in the scriptures. Lord, speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Amen. Again, chapter 3. <clears throat> It's God coming to Moses, God intervening in the world. Let's just kind of real quick go through some of it. Verse 2, the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses. Notice, in a flame of fire, in the middle of a bush. So Moses looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. So Moses goes, inspects this strange fire, and then from the bush, the image, the angel of the Lord speaks Moses' name, calls him out by name, and then he said, verse 5, do not draw near this place, take your shoes off, you know, and all the things that Moses learned in the schools in Egypt, he knew no respect for God, take your sandals off your feet for the place you stand is holy ground, verse 6, moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses, notice his response, he hid his face because he was afraid to look upon God. Moses is seeing the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, that's Yehovah, we say Jehovah, the Hebrews would say Yehovah, and he sees him in this flame. Moses is looking at a revelation of God. This is God revealing himself in the person, Jesus Christ. You've heard it before, no one has seen God. And then you read a verse like this and you have a little conflict in your mind. You go, well, what, what's happening here? What is Moses seeing? Well, he's seeing a revelation of God because no one has really seen God. God doesn't have a body. He's a spirit. He's not a glowing light. He's not an orb, an eye floating around in the cosmos. God doesn't have a body. You can't see God. But when Jesus came, he came as God, veiled in human flesh, remember? He revealed a little bit of his glory to his apostles. He began to glow, you know, when he pulled back his robe. And on Mount Transfiguration, he was, began to reveal God in, in, in the, just that glowing light. But no one has ever seen God. It's in John, the Gospel of John. Chapter 1, verse 8, no one has seen God at any time, but notice this, the only begotten Son, that's Jesus Christ, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has exegeted him. That word exegeted or declared in your Bible, or the verse I've used here in the New King James, though the word exegeome means to exegete or to make known. It's Jesus who makes known the Father. And here we have the burning bush. Moses comes up. It's the Lord. It's, it's Jehovah. It's the angel of the Lord, but, but it's, it's Jesus, a pre-incarnate Jesus. And he's speaking to Moses. It's a beautiful uh, uh, description here of this angel that speaks now to Moses. And, and it's Jesus who is making the Father known to us. The only way we can know about the Father is to look at the person, Jesus Christ. That's the only way we can know who the Father is and what his character and nature is. So it's Jesus. 
whom Moses is seeing in the bush. And then he tells Moses why he came in verse 7. Here's my first point. And again, I'm, I'm going to go quickly to verse uh, 13. But he came to deliver his people. Verse 7, and the Lord said, Jehovah said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, the land flowing of milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. Again, the great theme of the book of Exodus is redemption. That's, that's the main theme. That's what we see in this book. And, and uh, my subtitle for the, the series, you know, out of the, God's going to get these people out of Egypt and he's going to get them. It's the journey to Canaan, journey to the promised land. That's the, the, the theme here is redemption. The word redemption, deliver, mean, deliver or to buy back. That's what the word means uh, redemption, biblical redemption, has the idea of purchasing a slave out of slavery, purchasing one that, that was a slave out of that. We, you and I, were enslaved to what? Sin. Sin had enslaved us. And so God purchased us back by sending a son. Jesus died. He paid the ransom we couldn't pay. Redemption. And again, we're seeing that here uh, in Exodus. That's what we're studying. It's God's plan of redemption. And we are just like the children of Israel. We're slaves, enslaved to sin. And we need to deliver. We can't deliver ourselves. So Jesus pays us ransom in the story of Exodus. It's Moses who's going to deliver the people that were slaves from their sin. Like Jesus paid the price for our release from sin. That's why Jesus came. Mark, the main theme of our Gospel study on Sunday morning. I've, I've already mentioned it. I'm going to mention it over and over and over as we go through Mark because that's the main theme of Mark. Here it is behind me on the screen. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And then notice, to give his life a ransom, a ransom. He, he's going to deliver us from our sin. We couldn't deliver ourselves. And so God sent Jesus to pay the penalty for our sins. That's deliverance and ransom. So here in Exodus, Jesus tells Moses that he, uh, that he wants, Jehovah tells Moses, it's Christ, he tells him how he wants Moses now to serve, how Moses is going to uh, serve and, and uh, come and redeem God's people. He's going to do this work. And notice in verse 8, there's two parts to redemption. And I, I, I went back this evening to this section because I really want you to get this. Here's my point. Redemption out of and into. Redemption has two parts to it, not just one. God has redeemed us. In other words, he's purchased our pardon. We receive by faith what God's done in Christ, and we become born again. We become changed, regenerated, different. Everything changes in our life because of what God's done. We, that happens by faith. So we've been delivered out of something but into something else. Look at verse 8. So I've come down to deliver them out of Egypt, or the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up. Where? What's the promise Abraham gave, or God gave to Abraham? A land, a land. 
Many people. We got the many people thing right here in, in Egypt. But it's a land. He promised Abraham land. And it was the land of these people that are mentioned there, that big long ites there. But God is going to give the children of Israel that land. So redemption is out of, in this case, Egypt and into the land of Canaan. We've too been delivered out of sin, but God wants to do something with us. He's delivered us into a new life. Isn't being a Christian awesome? I don't have to worry about sin. It's taken care of. It's covered. My past life has been paid for. And I'm saved to a holy life. I'm saved to honor the Lord. I'm saved to be obedient and have joy. And and in spite of difficulty and tragedy, I can have joy in Christ because one day I'm going to be with him eternally. So I'm I'm saved out of sin and into a holy life, just like the Egyptian or the uh, uh, children of Israel saved out of Egypt and saved into Canaan. That's a beautiful truth about redemption. Paul says it in Ephesians 2. I love what Paul says. Notice this, the topic redemption. He says, even when we were dead in trespasses, he's made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. There it is. Again, we're saved from our sin by grace. We're saved to live together with Christ forevermore. That's the wonderful truth about being a believer. It's not about this life. It's not about what we own. Not about what we can accomplish. Not about what we can can consume. It's about the eternal life and it's about the life to come. When you start letting things go in this life and trusting the Lord and just living obedient, and just it doesn't matter what I have. God, it's God's. God gave it to me to, to kind of superintend for a moment, but one day I'm not going to have any of it. And I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to be with the Lord forever and ever. So we're saved from sin and we're saved to eternal life. Again, Biblical redemption is we're brought out and we're placed into. And that's what we're seeing right here in Exodus chapter 3. God's taking his people out of Egypt, going to deliver them to Canaan. He's going to intervene and do that, deliver them to Canaan. That's salvation, that's redemption. Now, God intervenes here and he's saving, he's going to save his people from their bondage. That's what chapter 3 is about. But God is also going to use Moses to do the work. Again, God uses human instruments to do his work. From the very beginning, he's done that. He wants to use you and I. You should get excited about that. You should be sharing the gift, whatever that gift is. When you were born again, you were given by the Holy Spirit a gift. At the very moment, you were born again. What is it? I don't know what it is. But you should be trying to discover it and then use it for the glory of God. Maybe it's missionary work. Maybe it's prayer. Maybe it's giving. Maybe it's serving. There's a whole list of gifts, and I believe the Holy Spirit can do whatever he wants and does and distributes those gifts to the body of Christ so that we would be a whole church, a whole congregation, and and, uh, living to the glory of God, serving to the glory of God. But again, we have God using Moses here. Forty years before Moses is in this situation, 
He had just come out of Egypt. He was educated in their schools, but now he's been in the wilderness for 40 years. Why? Because he tried to deliver his brothers and sisters that were in bondage by what? Remember what he did? He murdered. He murdered the Egyptian. He didn't do it God's way. He did it his way. So God had to take him and put him in the desert and train him and teach him. He's for 40 years been in the desert of Midian. He's been a shepherd, kind of a, just watching sheep all day. So God has brought Moses to a place of weakness. God's brought Moses to a place of dependence. God's brought Moses from a place of pride, and I can do it my way and murder, to brokenness and dependence on him. Now God can shape him and mold him. God can use Moses. That's how it always is with God. Wouldn't you agree? You ever been in that place where you're just so proud, you know, I can do it my way? Man, I've been there a few times. I've told the story before. Fell off the stage over here on a Sunday morning because I led worship and, man, it was good. I just, I was awesome. I was on. My voice sounded great. I played guitar. So it was like, man, I led worship good. And I fell right there in front of the whole church. <laughs> Humbled again is what I've, I've always said. If you, you think you're tough and you're bad and I do it my way and look at me, look at me, and look at how good I am. I serve God. Look at me how I serve God. God's going to humble you. Not, not a good plan. Pride is never a good plan for the child of God. And Moses, he's in that place where he is now dependent on the Lord. That's how it always is. God wants us to be weak and yielded, and that's, why, that's where he'll use us. It was Paul who learned that lesson. And this is what he wrote in 2 Corinthians 12. Notice 2 Corinthians 12 here. Do I have that one? 2 Corinthians 12. There it is. For when I am weak, then I am what? It's in weakness that we find our strength because God uses the weak. He uses the base. He uses the infant. He uses because I can do it my way. And Moses did it his way, and it was wrong. But when he allowed himself to be used by God, God used him in a great in a great and powerful way. That's what God has done to Moses. Again, 40 years in the desert. And now Moses can be used to deliver God's people. Verse 10, come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So God has now revealed to Moses what he wants him to do. You're going you're gonna to deliver, go back to Egypt. Moses thinking, well, oh, I just ran from Egypt because uh, they were going to kill me. Pharaoh's mad. He's going to kill me. I can't go back there. He's insecure. He's afraid. He's unsure. That's what we're going to see here. But again, the point being that the reason that you're not used could be, the reason that God isn't using you right now in your, could be because you're too strong. And God wants you to be what? The opposite of strong. He wants you to be weak. Because when you're weak, then you're what? Strong. It, it's one of those paradoxes in the scripture. It's, it's the way God chooses to use people. He wants us to be weak, so it's not our own strength. We're too strong for God to use. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27, notice what the scripture says here. God has chosen the, what? 
the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. Why? So we don't glory in ourselves and God receives all the glory. Makes sense, right? But we still want to do it our way. We still want to try it and manipulate people and situations and work and our money. And it doesn't always work out, does it? When we trust in the Lord with everything. When we just lean upon him and not our own, God will work in in a marvelous, wonderful way. So Moses, Paul, the apostle, Elijah, all of them were humbled by God so God could use them. And when God humbles us, we can be used as well. That's what we're learning here as we look at the life of Moses. Moses was too strong at first, so God humbled him. And that's where he is. Now he's broken. Forty years later, he's broken. Eighty years old. Then I love verse 12. Look at, look at what it says. And we went over this. God says to Moses, verse 12, I'll be with you. Moses, don't be concerned about this. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to lead you every step of the way. I'm going to help you. But more importantly, in verse 14, God reveals who he is. He says, I am who I am. And that's what I want you to tell anyone that asks. I am that I am sent you. We went into that last week. That means that God is the self-existing one. He is who he is. And he becomes whatever is needed. It's God. He's an all-encompassing, all-powerful God. That's who he is, the great I am. Now, in verse 15, God is going to outline the task which Moses has been given by God, commissioned by God. God's going to now outline it. That's what we see in the latter portion of chapter 3. And that's why I named the title Moses Marching Orders, because God gives him his marching orders here. The first thing, he tells him to speak to the people and elders. So, I want you to go to Egypt and talk to the Pharaoh, but, but this is first what I want you to do, verse 15. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord, Yahweh, God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and tell them this, Moses. The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Parasites, Hivites, Jebusites, the land flowing with milk and honey. Now, here's a really important note. It's been 400 years of silence. God last spoke to Isaac, hasn't spoken for over 430 years. And now he's broken his silence. He's speaking directly to Moses, the deliverer, who's going to come with his task. And he's giving him... Uh, verse-by-verse instruction here, what he wants him to do. He says, I want you to go speak to the people, and I want you to speak to the elders there. That's his order he gives to Moses. And he says, I am the God of your fathers. He reminds them through Moses that I'm the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then the second thing God tells Moses to do in verse 18 is ask Pharaoh for a retreat. Women, you're going on a retreat, right? You should get this. Look at verse 18. 
Then they will heed your voice. So you go tell them, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they're going to listen to your voice. And you shall come, you and the elders of Israel. I want you to take all the oldest men in Israel, bring them to the king of Egypt, to the Pharaoh, and you say to him, the Lord God of the Hebrew has met with us, and now, please, we're going to take off for three days' journey in the wilderness, and we're going to worship God. That's what you ladies are going to do, right, Friday? You're going to take off and up into the mountains, and you're going to worship God. So he's calling. God is saying, I want you to take Moses. You get the elders. You go to Pharaoh. Now, we know that Pharaoh says, absolutely, I'm not doing that. I'm the Pharaoh. Who do you think you're talking to? We're going to get there in, in the story as it moves along. But it's interesting here. This is what God wants. This is the beginning of dialogue with Pharaoh. We know that Pharaoh's heart's going to get harder and harder and harder. He's going to reject more and more and more. He's going to hate more and more and more. And God's going to begin to bring these miraculous plagues upon Pharaoh. Not, not death upon Pharaoh, but finally death upon the firstborn, the last of the plagues. He's going to do that. But right now he says, take the elders, we're, tell them we're going to go on a retreat because God's going to take us out of Egypt. Now, Pharaoh's not going to like any of this, right? But again, God is telling Moses what he wants him to do. He's going to start with a small request. God's going to deliver us uh, from your hand, Pharaoh. All of the Israelites are going to leave. All your slaves' labor is going to exit. And, and Pharaoh's like, I don't think so. He's, he's going to rebel against that whole thing. But notice in verse 19, it's Moses who is warned by God ahead of time that this isn't going to be an easy task. Look at verse 19. But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. So here's the prophecy. Here's God telling Moses, this is not going to be easy. I want you to do it, but don't expect it to be an easy thing because he's not going to uh, let you go. No, not even by a mighty hand. So here's what I'm going to do, Moses, and you're going to see all this. I'm going to stretch out my hand, and I'm going to strike Egypt with my wonders, which I will do in its midst. And after that, he's going to let you go. So he kind of tells him, I want you to do this, but he's not going to agree. And then I'm going to tell you to do this, and he's still not going to agree. And then I'm going to do all my miracles. I'm going to work my, you just watch what I'm going to do, Moses. He's trying to help Moses understand that he's just a player in this scene, that God is going to work it all out. Again, God knows exactly foreknowledge. God knows exactly what Pharaoh is going to do here. But he tells scaredy cat Moses, because he's fearful right now. Moses, he's afraid of God. He saw God, the face of God. He's afraid. And now God's asked him to go back to Pharaoh, which threatened his life, so he's afraid, doubly afraid. And now he's going to go approach him and say, I want to take the elders on a retreat for three days. And Moses knows that is not going to happen. And then God tells him, but I'm going to be there. I'm going to lead. And he's not going to agree. I've got it all under control, Moses. Moses, he's really insecure. The third order that God gives Moses is in verse 21. Notice he says to the women, specifically to the women, he says, collect your lost wages. This is really interesting. Notice in verse 21. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall be when you go that you shall not go empty-handed. So you're going to leave all the, uh, your whole 
uh, all the children of Israel are going to leave Egypt, but you're not going to go empty-handed. You're going to go with money. You're going to go with booty. I'm going to send you away rich. Verse 22, but every woman, this is how it's going to happen, shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house. So the women, the men were making bricks and mud. The women were serving the Egyptian women in their homes. And he says, I want you to ask the, the women that you, you're living in their houses for these things. Articles of silver, articles of gold, and as much clothing as you can wear. And then you're going to dress your kids up in all these clothes. So you shall, notice the word here, plunder the Egyptians. So God is telling the women now, this is going to be your job. So Moses, you've got to tell the women this. Before they leave, they're going to, they're going to get all this plunder. They're going to get the gold and the clothes and all this stuff. And at the end of verse 22 there, you're going to plunder the Egyptians. That word plunder, nostal, means to recover. What are the Egyptian slaves recovering? Their wages. Hundreds of years they've been working, and they haven't been paid anything. For those of you that study the Bible, especially as we've gone through um, the minor prophets and the major prophets, the one thing God hated most about his people is that they, they weighed the scales in their favor. So when they traded something, they got more than they should have. And God hated that. He hates unfairness. And here, his people have been mistreated. They've been slaves. They haven't been given anything. And so he's going to make sure that they're rich when they leave. And so he tells the women, now you're just going to go in there and you're going to plunder. You're going to ask. They're not stealing. They're going to take back wages. That's the whole idea. They're going to collect their lost wages here from the hundreds of years of slavery. So those are God's three marching orders for Moses. That's what he's told them. He says, speak to the people and the elders. Ask Pharaoh for this retreat time, and then collect your lost wages. Those are the things that I want you to, that's how I want you to prepare the people, the children of Israel, for their exit there. Now, beginning in chapter 4, we get Moses' response, or I'm going to kind of break this up here. We're not going to study the whole chapter, but a portion here. But Moses' three excuses. He's going to give his excuses of why he shouldn't be the deliverer, why he is unable to do this, why he you know, can't do this. Number one, he says in verse one, he says, they won't believe me. Number one, I, I can't do this because they won't believe me. Notice in verse one, then Moses answered and said, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, you're a liar, Moses. The Lord didn't appear to you. Now, you, you got to get the scene. Where is Moses? He's on a mountain. And who is he talking to? He's talking to a bush. There's an image in the bush, but he's talking to a bush. People don't normally do that. They don't stand there and talk to burning bushes. But Moses now, he's having this dialogue with God in the, this burning bush here, the living God. And he begins to question God. Now, how many in this room think it's a good idea to question God? Do you think that's a good idea? I don't think it's a good idea. We're to, we're to trust God. We're to obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but trust and obey. That's an old hymn, by the way. Some of you might know that. 
That's a good plan, trusting. But asking God questions, not a good thing. And here's Moses in front of this burning bush here. He's uh, questioning God. He says, but God, but, but God, what if they won't believe? But, but, but God, that's what he's saying there. He's, he's asking God. Now, again, he knows Pharaoh. He knows all about Pharaoh's power. He's intimidated by the request. He's got to go to the elders of Israel and get them together and ask for a retreat. I mean, he doesn't want to do any of this stuff. He, he doesn't think it's going to work. But that, that's really the point, that he's intimidated. He is weak, that he is unable to do any of these things. That's God's point. He's trying to show him that. And I believe that as I read this, God wants to show you that too. It's not about what you know. It's not about what you do. It's not your power. We're to be weak. And when we're weak, then we are what? Strong. That's, that's the point here in Moses' life. God has just taken everything from him. Forty years, a shepherd in, the, in Midian of all places. But notice how gracious God is with stubborn and disobedient, questioning Moses here. And God's going to give him this opportunity. God's going to say, this is what I'm going to do. And he's going to show him a miracle so that he'll obey, which, uh, which is really interesting. He, Moses is going to do these same miracles in the future, but God gives him a little glimpse here, three signs to prove it. Verse 2 of chapter 4, So the Lord said to him, What do you have in your hand right now? And Moses says, I have a rod. And he's, God says, So throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a snake. Wow. And what did, look at what Moses did. What did Moses do? Did he go, Wow, that's a snake. No, he ran. Like a girl, you know, he runs from the snake. So it must have been a big snake, right? It must have been big enough to scare Moses here. Then the Lord said to Moses, now reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So I'm sure Moses was like, oh, do I really have to? You know, he, he's having a dialogue with a bush. Now you got to get the whole scene. So he reaches out his hand and he, he picks it up. And he caught it and it became a rod again in his hand. So it was a rod, then it was a snake, then it was a rod again. And God is showing Moses that he can do these things. That God is going to do through Moses. He's, God is going to work through Moses to deliver his people. And Moses has to trust God with all that's within him. It's, a, it's really a, an amazing uh, scene that we're looking at that they may believe that the Lord God, verse 5, of their fathers and God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. This is how I'm going to show I'm going to do miracles through you, and they're not going to question you, Moses. Don't worry about that. The second sign God gives Moses, again, it's going to be revealed later in the miracles that God does in, to Pharaoh, but it's really interesting. Leprosy. This is, this is fascinating. Verse 6, furthermore, the Lord said to him, now put your hand in your bosom. So he puts his hand in his coat or his whatever behind his sleeve. And he put his hand in his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous. Wow. Cancerous, whatever, leprous. Just white and scaly and bloody. And just, can you imagine the shock on Moses? His hand was leprous like snow. And he said, God says, put your hand back in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom, and then he drew it out, and it was restored just like the other flesh. And he's, I imagine he's like, what was that? Can you imagine Moses? Then, verse 8, it will be they, if they do not believe you, 
nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. So God is showing him. He's going to do multiple things. God's going to do these miraculous things, and God has the ability to give you leprosy and take it away. God has the ability to make a snake, a serpent out of a stick or rod and, and, and turn it back into a rod. God has the power to do those things. The third sign that God does is the water turns to blood. And this, he's just revealing this to him now. And it shall be, if they don't believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river and pour it on dry land, and the water which you take from the river will become blood. So this sign doesn't happen right now in front of Moses here in Exodus 3 or 4, but it's going to happen in the future, as we well know. So these three signs were given to Moses to reassure him, but that doesn't stop his excuses. Number one, remember his excuse, they won't believe me. And number two, his excuse is here in verse 10, I don't even speak very well. If I'm supposed to be your spokesman, I don't even speak very well, he says, verse 10. And Moses says to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you've spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Now, remember, Moses was educated in Egypt. He had the finest schools, the best teachers spoke his language and probably learned Hebrew as well. He, this guy really could speak. He was very educated. I don't believe he had a speech problem. There are those that say he had a speech impediment, that he was slow and slow of tongue, and that meant he stuttered. And I, I think that's reasonable to think that, but listen to this. It's in Acts chapter 7, Stephen, the first Christian martyr. This is what he says, and Moses was learned in all wisdom of the Egyptians, and notice, was mighty in words and deeds. Now, that could have been after. Maybe he stuttered, and then God healed his tongue, and he was a better spokesman. But God's going to do something in his life here, and he's going to take away this ability for him to be the spokesman and give it to another person because he's complaining so much. But basically, this was another excuse from Moses. I don't speak well, and then verse 11, so the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? See, we're, we're seeing stages of the anger of God. God is starting to get angry with Moses here. He says, or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with you, your mouth, and teach you what you shall say. Moses, you have to trust me. You have to depend on me. Moses finally says his third excuse, just send somebody else. Verse 13, look at verse 13. But Moses said, oh, my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. Send somebody else. Again, Moses is chicken. He doesn't want to go. He's not being obedient. He's not trusting God. He's afraid. He lacks the courage. He lacks faith to go and be obedient. He doesn't even give a reason why. He just says, Lord, just send someone else. <laughs> As I was reading commentaries, somebody said, this is what beating around the bush is all about. It's this, excuse after excuse after excuse. I, I don't know. I find it amusing. God does not find this amusing. In fact, this is, notice what happens next. The bush flares up. This is really interesting. Verse 14, so the anger of the Lord, notice the language here, was what? 
kindled. Any of you have fires in the fireplace? I love that. I had one last week because it was really cold. So I lit a fire, first fire of the year. Love that. Of many fires to come, I love the kindling. When you light kindling, what does it do? It bursts into flame. It gets more and more. So Moses on a hill, burning bush, talking to him. And he keeps saying, but God, but God, use somebody else. And God is, now he's burning. <laughs> There's, the bush flares up in a sense. It's kindled against, his anger is kindled against Moses. Again, that's why I call it the bush flares up because God is angry. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Again, Moses is face to face with God and he's but God, but God, excuse, excuse, excuse. And God is angry. The bush flares up. I think Moses at this point in time thinks he's a goner. I think he's really afraid because God's anger was evident here. Look at verse 14, the second half there. And he said, is not Aaron the Levite your brother? So now he's going to go from Moses to Aaron as a spokesman. This is interesting. I know that he can speak well. And look, he is also coming out to meet you. So that's a prophecy. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now, you shall speak to him. That's Aaron. And you're going to tell him, put words in his mouth. You'll tell him what to say. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people. And he himself should be the mouth for you. And you shall be to him as God. In other words, if you were just obedient to me, your life would have been a lot easier, Moses. But now, you know what? You're going to hear your brother argue, complain, and whine. And you know about Aaron. How many know about Aaron? What was Aaron doing when Moses comes down from the mountain? What was he doing? Dancing naked around the golden calf, remember? I mean, Aaron. Aaron is not the best servant. So now Moses is going to get kind of his own medicine in a sense. God says, okay, you don't want to be, so I'll have Aaron do it. And, and you're going to be like God to him, and you're going to get all this lip from him. But you are my deliverer. You are going to do this. This is God choosing sovereignly uh, this man, Moses, to help. Now, I'm going to stop right here. Next week, we'll pick it up, and we have our pumpkin pie night. Um, I I want to have a shorter study next week. But I want you to think about these things in Moses' life. Again, the fact that God had called him, but Moses resisted, that God gave him Many opportunities to finally say, okay, God, I'll obey you, but he didn't. And then his, out of his disobedience, God finally, his anger, the fire, the burning bush, you know, and, and Moses was like, oh, what did I do? What did I say? Okay, you want it this way? Your brother's going to do this. Your brother's going to, and you're going to have to deal with your brother. Really interesting. Oh, that we would just trust and obey. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word tonight. I just pray, Lord, that we would learn... The, the overarching truth of redemption, and then these subtle truths about obedience. Father, teach us much as we study your word. Thank you, God, for a night of worship. Thank you for allowing us to come into a place where we can just sing and a place where we, we can gather as believers. And Father, we do pray. Honestly, it's in the back of our mind. We pray for our safety. I thank you for our security team and ushers for our brother Antonio and JC out there tonight watching after us. 
for the brothers in the church watching after us, for, for the security that we have in our church. Help us, Lord. Keep us safe, we pray. And bless those people in Texas, we ask. Thank you for this evening. And Jesus, we pray. Amen.